the Giants began the season 0-2, while the Saints were 0-3. Both have only lost once since. This Sunday, they go head-to-head at the Superdome. Touchdown! Coverage begins at noon Eastern on ESPN Radio. You're listening to Baseline from 538. You're listening to Baseline from 538. You're listening to Baseline from 538. You're listening to Baseline from 548. 538. Damn it! 538. It's Carl Bialik from 538. We're recording Baseline, a mini podcast live from the U.S. Open. We're having episodes breaking down the results and stats of the tournament every couple days. You can find us in the feed for the 538 Sports Podcast, Hot Takedown. We start every show with something we call our significant digit. It's an interesting number about the tournament and what's happening at the U.S. Open. We're recording on Thursday, the day before the men's semifinals, and one of them is featuring world number one Novak Djokovic against defending champion Marin Cilic. They've played each other 13 times. How many times has Chilich won out of those 13? Two. It's a good guess. He's won zero. All right. Maybe he has a chance today because I would love Djokovic to get beaten. Djokovic is great, but everybody can be beaten. Everybody. That fan's name, as it turns out, is Louisa. Now, we've had a Louisa on every episode, Louisa Thomas from Grantland. But she isn't at the Open anymore, and so we're subbing in Tom Parada, my former colleague and the excellent tennis writer from the Wall Street Journal. Hi, Tom. How you doing, Carl? So, Djokovic, 13-0 against Chilich. What do you make of that? Uh, that's lopsided. <laughs> uh, <laughs> very lopsided. It's, it's more lopsided than our head-to-head. It is more lopsided than our head Although, going in that direction, Carl, you're beating me a lot lately. <laughs> oh, I'm glad you brought that up. But go on about Djokovic. <laughs> you know, those things can change quickly sometimes and Chilich will have a lot of confidence here because he won this tournament last year I think he's looked very determined so far and is playing really well he's also had to work really hard Djokovic has had to work hard too uh, I would stick with that head to head we've seen longer losing streaks um, in the past Thomas Burditch just broke one this year he had lost 17 straight to Rafael Nadal that's a lot before he finally won it would be hard to pick against Djokovic in this match I think so Djokovic was asked about this at his press conference, and he said... I, I know him very well. I've played with him many, many times. We're good friends. Great guy. Um, I know what to do. I, I'm, I'm hoping I can execute the game plan, obviously, and, and, and play my best. He managed to both praise Cilic and also say what a great friend he is and how much he likes playing him. Do you, do you take that as the closest Djokovic would say to, I'm really glad I'm playing someone I'm 13-0 against? Maybe he's just trying to be generous i mean i'm not really sure but i think the matchup for him is good because he has a lot of quickness he's a great returner and chilich is a very good serve he can hit big but if you can get him moving and spread him around the court a bit there's going to be openings and that's what Djokovic really likes to do i can see why it's a good matchup for him some of those 13 and 0 though there's been a lot of years where chilich has not really played like he played here last year and is playing here this year so you, you could you say just about every tournament he's ever played over than the U.S. Open last year is not very, like how he played at the U.S. Open last year. You can very easily say that, yeah. So, is he channeling that again this year? Hard to say. I didn't know that he was channeling coming into the semifinals last year, and then he surprised everybody and wiped Federer off the court in straight sets, which... And was just as good against Nishikori in the final. It was just as good against Nishikori in the final. Now, yeah, we'll see if he can do that again. I thought in his last round, I thought Sanga was playing quite well coming into that match, and... 
he was very good, but he was also really resilient and looked like he really wanted it and was strong in the final set, which is a, a good sign. But I think this tournament's also taken a lot out of him. He hasn't really gone this far in any tournament in a while. Yeah. They do get the two days off. Do you think that, that'll help? I think it'll help. I mean, some players say that breaks their rhythm. I think in this case it'll be a benefit for him. I think Djokovic could use it too. He worked pretty hard against Feliciano Lopez, and he's he's been a little frustrated at times on the court, and he's not put some some points away and games away that he thought he should have. And uh, I think the rest will help him too. The other men's semi is Roger Federer against his fellow Swiss, Stan Wawrinka. And they have also a very lopsided head-to-head. Federer's won, I think, 16 out of 19. But Stan's been playing a much closer in recent years. Is that maybe a template for what Chilich could do differently against Djokovic? Or what, what has changed, do you think, for Stan against Roger? That relationship is even more, and that matchup is really interesting to me because of their relationship. They've been close. They've known each other for years. They've worked out together. And in some way, I think Federer is, I can't say largely, but a reasonable amount responsible for creating the monster player that Stan can sometimes be now. And even Magnus Norman, his coach, says, you know, I don't know what I'm going to get from Stan one day to the next sometimes. He can be amazing, and then he can be very not amazing. But I think Federer has really motivated him, and working out with him has really shown him a lot about what it takes to be this level player. And since then, he's now been able to you know, beat him in some big matches. And he's a tough matchup because his backhand is so good. And Stan's serve is really, really underrated, I think. It's pretty consistent. It's got a lot of pop. His placement is good. And if he gets it going, you know, he does not on the defensive that much in his service games, and that can really keep you, you know, relaxed when it gets tight in the set. And we, we've talked on previous podcasts about Sabre, the sneak attack by Roger, where he takes a second serve incredibly early, very close to the net, throws his, the server, his opponent, off balance. Vavrinka did some of that against Anderson in the quarterfinal. He was asked about it, and he said... The reason why I improved so much uh, the past few years, it's also because I'm looking a lot what the top guys doing. Uh, Novak, Roger, Rafa, and I, I always try to see why they're so good. So I'm not trying to do what they're doing. I'm just trying to see how they improve, how they can play so well, how they can play so fast. And he talked about how he learned from the top guys. Uh, is that important for somebody who's in that next tier to not just play against them and learn from their mentality but to try to notice their patterns and how they mix things up and could Chilich do any of that I think it could be you also have to know what your limits are and what your skills are I think Stan is pretty quick and has pretty good hands I think that works for him I don't know that that would necessarily work for someone like Chilich I think Chilich likes a little more time on the back swings and he's it takes a little bit longer to get that body in that type of position. Yeah, you don't want to try something that'll hurt you. Exactly. In the match or physically. I like seeing Chilich at the net when he can get there because he's got such a wingspan. I mean, I think that can be really helpful. The whole Sabre thing, what do you think of the Sabre thing in general? I mean, I think it's really interesting and I love watching it, but I've gone back and watched a bunch of the times that Rogers tried at this tournament and mostly they've failed. You know, it's a pretty high-risk shot. It's not like it's paying off constantly. I don't know that we're going to see tons of it the rest of the way. Yeah, some of it feels a little like a marketing gimmick. If you just return a second serve normally and you're Roger Federer, you'll win against most guys about 50% of the time. So Sabre should work that much for it to be worth it, unless there's evidence that he's throwing off servers and they're double-faulting more or they're just losing subsequent points because he's 
he's rattled them and they're no longer in the zone of serving. So you could study that. But I think the broader point that he's raising with it is just that he will mix something in that's totally new. So now players who are facing him don't just have to worry about Sabre, but they might think, oh, he just tried something in practice, realized he has some other supernatural gift for something, and he's going to mix it in. What will that be? And not only will I lose, but will I look stupid? I don't think guys like being in highlight reels uh, where they're the sort of the Washington general to somebody's Harlem Globetrotter. I think that the larger point is right with Federer. He's being more unpredictable. That's good. He's being unpredictable in a smart way, which is good if you're unpredictable in a, in a too risky way. That obviously can be bad. I do like how he's sneaking in on other points and really finishing things off, you know, balls that he thinks are going to come back as floaters. He gets in there early and does it. He's looked really great. I mean, a lot of people are talking like he looks better than ever. I don't. I don't. We heard that at Wimbledon, right after that, exactly. his semifinal. Yeah, after he beat Murray at Wimbledon, that was the talk. And here it is again after he beat Gasquet. Gasquet didn't put a lot of resistance up. Uh, so I'm still not sure. And I think I take Federer's word, and I think he's right when he said after the Gasquet match. Yeah, yeah. Two steps, but they're not like from here to there. You know, they're like. <laughs> You know what I mean? Hours of work and sleeps and weights and, you know, nerves and all that. So it's still a long way. You're listening to Baseline from 538. So our next segment, as always, or as long as Serena Williams is still in the tournament anyway, is called Serena Stat. It's a stat about her chase for the calendar year Grand Slam. She's going to play Roberta Vinci in the semifinals, which is a stage of the Grand Slam tournament where normally you're playing top, top players. Serena's won 25 out of 28 Grand Slam semis. Does that tell you anything about her chances for this match, and what does it tell you about her as a competitor? I think if she loses this particular match, it would be the biggest upset of her Grand Slam career. No offense to Roberta Vinci, who I love watching Roberta Vinci play tennis. She's really stylish. She's got a great slice backhand. When then she comes to the net, she does a lot of interesting things. She's a very good doubles player. She really probably will and should get killed out there. <laughs> um, I don't know that it'll be that close. I mean, the you match, don't think it'll be that close. I don't, That's what I you're just, I, I, yeah, I don't think it will. I mean, she played her tough this summer, which I think she beat her 6-4, 6-3. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, as the tournament progresses, Serena usually accelerates rather than levels off, which has been the biggest story of her career at Slams and is really interesting to see. She says she's not feeling much nerves and she hasn't looked that bad nerves-wise in, you know, in the last round against Venus, but I think she's going to start to feel some. And in the final, I would imagine she would feel a lot. So not, not only is uh, Serena really outmatching Vinci, but she's 17-1 and one combined against the three remaining women in the draw other than herself. And Halep is the only one that has a win, but that's one win out of seven matches. Do you think, realistically, she's got the only strong chance, or at least medium-strong chance, of derailing Serena's Grand Slam quest at this point? She definitely has the best chance at this point. Panetta played Serena tough in Toronto, too. Took a set from her, if I'm not mistaken. But that was, you know, Serena really accelerated through the end of that match very quickly. And she doesn't have as much power, I think. You know, Serena can handle that and, and hit through her pretty easily. Halep is amazingly athletic, and she's you can really tell she's thinking about how she matches up with her and what to do against her. She's talked a lot about having to hit more inside-out forehands and be more aggressive with it. The time she did beat her was a fantastic performance, and she can really run and play great defense. I think she's got the game to do it. I think playing in your first U.S. Open final, 
with all that history on the line and everybody probably pulling for history is going to be really hard. And also, she's just really worked hard in this tournament. She's got her leg wrapped. She's, it was one match I looked. I thought she was going to lose. She couldn't walk. She had trouble with her back. And it's going to be amazing if she pulls up and if she gets into the final and is feeling 100%, I'll be really surprised. So you talked about Simona Halep and her power. She talked about a different kind of power in her press conference. She was talking about her fighting power. I think I have inside power more than uh, during the game. I'm not very strong, as you see. I don't have big muscles. Uh, I'm not tall. So I have power inside. Um, I fight. And, uh, you know, uh, always it's like a big challenge for me. Every point, it's a big challenge. Do you think that this is a new Simona Halep we're seeing? She's just toughed out two, three setters in tough conditions against really strong players, Lisicki and Azarenka? I spoke to her for a while in Toronto, and she said she's been working a little bit with Darren Cahill through the Adidas uh, program. He's you know not her private coach, but has been working with her. And she said the biggest thing she got from him, and you hear players say this all the time, but I think it can have value, is that she really just wasn't believing in herself that much at all. And now she is, and that he's helped convince her essentially – you have everything it takes to be basically the best player in the world. So admit it, realize it, and, and work with it, and that's it. And she seems to have that attitude the last month or so. She also took some time off. I think she said she took six weeks off. Is that right? Without playing? That's a long time. She said she was getting antsy by the end of it. I think that can be good for you. I mean, we all in life need breaks, and I think she timed her break well. How does the world number two player not believe in herself? Is it because the world number one is Serena, or is it something intrinsic to Simona? I don't know. She's so young. I think that's really my answer. I think she got up the ranks for these days pretty quickly. And then you feel like, oh, I should be winning all these matches that I'm the favorite. And you lose a few. And then you start to wonder, maybe that was a fluke. I mean, I think these things can happen, especially when you're that age. And she still hasn't won a slam. She hasn't won that many big tournaments. You know, we saw Rafael Nadal be pretty not lose confidence this year and he's admitted to having lost a lot of confidence how could you ever lose confidence you have 14 grand slam titles and nine french opens you're an insanely historical player but if if it can happen to him it can happen to anybody that's true you mentioned how young halep is the other three semifinalists are all born 1982 or earlier they're still younger than me and making me feel old every day but they're playing good enough tennis to be in the semis and vinci was asked about this of course i'm I think I'm at the end of my career, so uh, my semi-final, first semi-final, uh, it's incredible. And Panetta as well. And also Serena, she's not that young. I mean, um, we, of course, we are a little bit old uh, for the age of tennis right now. It's coming, a lot of young play, play, players coming in the last, uh, since the Olympic game, I think, it was a little bit of change of generation, so... But we are here, we still fight, we still enjoy what we did, and I think this is the most important. And they both kind of laughed it off and said, well, look at Serena. So is this a fluke at this tournament, and Serena will continue to be the outlier, but we'll have younger players coming up, or is it saying about the strength of generations? What's going on? It's hard to say fully. It's been trending this way for a while. I think I wrote about it in 2010 or 11. I can't remember what year it was where, you know, the average age just keeps going up. Some players say that, you know, there is an age limitation rule in the women's game where you can only play X number of tournaments a year when you're really young and that that maybe slows down development. I don't really know that that's doing it. The game is a lot more, you know, physical. Physicality is a much bigger part of the game and and running and strength and you're going to develop that more when you get a little older rather than when you're 
17. I don't know. Some of it could just be fluky. I'm a big believer in people always break the mold, and it's very hard to predict tennis. And in three years, you could have a 17-year-old who wins three majors. And who knows? I mean, it very. I don't know who that person's going to be. I wish I did, but it could happen. Yeah, I mean, it could just be that there was a gap where players weren't as strong or had a lot of injuries, and then that next generation, because we have some really promising teenagers in both the men's and women's side now. I might have said that. I've said that, I feel like, at one other time in the last 10 years, and not all of them worked out that great. But then you see teenagers like Murray and Djokovic. They did. So we're going to wrap now with our usual closing segment, which is a chance for us both to reflect on our favorite moment from the last few days at the tournament, what it was that you saw in a match or otherwise that will stay with you. My favorite thing of the last few days of the tournament was last night's press conference with Roger Federer, and it was something I, I heard. Roger Federer is 34 years old. He's a father of four children, two sets of twins. I have two kids, so I know a bit about being a father. And he said he sleeps nine to ten hours a night. And I thought, that's really amazing. And I'm very jealous of you. Of all the Roger Federer things I'm jealous of, that might be the most, because that's an incredible amount of sleep. I'm happy for him and proud of him, and that's great. And I wish I could get that much sleep. I was there, too, and so, so jealous. Uh, Never really envied him otherwise, just admired him. But somehow, with his staff, perhaps, he's able to carve out that time, and that's really impressive. Uh, My moment was also from last night. Right around the time of his press conference, there was a sparsely attended exhibition doubles match on Arthur Ashe Stadium, which they managed to squeeze in despite the forecast. It was kind of a magical night in terms of the rain holding off enough for the tournament to stay on schedule. And Marty Fish, who's retiring after this tournament, one, of course, it was a silly, meaningless exhibition match, but it was uh, Fish and Jim Courier against Michael Chang and John McEnroe, and just seeing Fish's smile at the end and having that moment on Ash. And he'll probably play exhibitions again at some point, but this being his last tournament and that being a really special match to win, it, it, was, it was great to see. Marty's been a great story, and he's done a lot by talking about uh, the anxiety and troubles that he's had. And we'll see him a lot on the golf course, too. Marty's an unbelievable golfer. He told me he shot a 64 once. Well, thanks so much, Tom, for joining us. Thanks for having me. It's been great. That's it for this episode of Baseline. Thanks to our producer as well, Joel Werner. We'll be back on Saturday with a look ahead to Championship Weekend. In the meantime, you can check out our ongoing coverage at 538.com, as well as on Grantland and ESPN.com. And for Tom's sake, you can find his great work and others at WSJ.com. You can subscribe to Hot Takedown so you don't miss an episode. And you can email us at podcasts at 538.com with any comments or suggestions. Thanks and talk to you next time. Superdome. Touchdown! Coverage begins at noon Eastern on ESPN Radio.